With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This is the BSN Denver Buffs Podcast. Powered by the BSN Denver Podcast Network. Galliard appears in the front court to Derek White. Wide open layup and in. A Derek White night. Derek White seals the deal with his 23rd point. Now, here are your hosts, Ryan Koenigsberg and Jake Shapiro. Back home and it feels so... Back home at the Blake Street Tavern, and boy, does it feel good with my guy Ryan Koningsberg and Chase Howell uh, also joining us today on the BSN Buffs podcast. Going to talk to you a little bit about signing day uh, on this podcast, but first got to get to the Joe Tumpkin news. But before we do that, i got to tell you more about the Blake Street Tavern, which is right here on the corner of Blake and 22nd Street in downtown Denver. We can't give these guys enough love. We absolutely adore this place so much. Uh, it's the best place to catch any single Buffs game, really any sporting event. Uh, we're recording this on Saturday, February 4th. We'll probably be, we might come down here for the Super Bowl tomorrow. Last year, the Super Bowl here was wild, of course, because the Broncos were in it. But uh, I wasn't there. I was uh, at the Super Bowl. Okay, big time media <laughs> boy. Congrats on the 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 work thing. <laughs> Anyways, uh, this is the spot, so make sure you come down to the Blake Street Tavern. You never know who you're going to run into here. Uh, but like I said, we got to get into this Joe Tumpkin situation that has been, well, it's been a month now. January 6th is when this really started to become public. January 6th is when I became aware of the situation fully. And uh, January 6th is when I let Ryan in on what I knew. And uh, But this goes back, obviously, to February 2015 when... Allegedly, Joe Tumpkin started uh, abuse on his now ex-girlfriend, uh, who we called Emma in our story by a uh, fake name. And Mike McIntyre became aware of this on December, December 9th, and Rick George became aware of this soon thereafter. And Sports Illustrated released a huge big story yesterday on Friday, February 3rd, that painted CU in a very, very poor light. Uh, that I know I necessarily did not agree with, and I don't think Ryan agreed with either. I haven't talked to Chase enough about this yet. But the way this came across to me was that CU did a pretty good job of handling this, and there by absolutely no means was a cover-up here. It was just kind of a process process that needed to play out over a five-week to a month stretch, maybe even two-month stretch. But when you look at Baylor, a situation that was compared to it in the article, that situation was a lack of instant institutional institutional control it took several years to uncover whereas this only a dozen people in the athletic department even knew about it and it took five weeks to reach a conclusion so uh, a lot of takeaways from this situation uh, a lot to be learned as Chancellor DiStefano came away with but in my opinion they fired uh, Joe Tumpkin about as quick as they could. Uh, he, they, he was asked to resign. I'll say that. I'll make sure I'm saying it correctly. But even when I said that on Twitter, when Joe Tumpkin was was forced to resign, I said that right away. I think they forced him to resign as quickly as they could. I had all the information at that point because I, I had been informed from a few sources. And I felt like, okay, this is what put it over the top. This is just cause to make sure that this guy finally goes away. Up until this point, there were allegations, but there was nothing that had been taken, whether in a legal civil trial, uh, uh, a legal trial. Uh, but the civil trial had played out, and that was enough cause to say, "Hey, this guy's got to get out of our program." Yeah, you know, I think when you look at this situation, what's important to remember, for me at least, is you don't have to take a side between CU and the victim in this case. It's a terrible, terrible thing what happened in this case, and. And if true, uh, you know, Joe Tumpkin deserves to be prosecuted to the fullest extent. But what's important to remember here is that CU could have handled this in the right way legally. And you can agree with how they did that with still being sympathetic 
with the victim in this case. And, you know, really what I came away with was sadness because it's sad that in this day, the fear of litigation, the fear of um, being, you know, in trouble, being tied to something, really the idea of covering your own ass has trumped the idea of being a decent person and doing what's right morally. And I think Mike McIntyre got caught in a, tr a bit of a trap there because there are so many of these cases now in college football where college coaches end up in such bad positions and you can be in a bad position for talking to the victim and you can be painted in a bad light for not talking to the victim. And you even see in the, in the comments from the victim in the case to Sports Illustrated saying, you know, she was worried about uh, Coach McIntyre getting in trouble. She was worried about the Baylor thing. Like, everyone's thinking of this stuff this day and age of, like, how is, how is this going to get someone in trouble? And it put Mike McIntyre, I think, in a really tough position. Uh, if I know anything about Mike McIntyre the way I think I do, especially in talking to people in the, in the program over the last couple days, Mike McIntyre is a good man. He does always want to do the right things. He's one of the few people in college football, as one person described it to me, that really do live by everything he says. So I think you see in those early uh, exchanges with the victim, he's talking very kindly to her. He is, he is concerned about her well-being. And I will say, to cut you off, the turning point to me in Mike McIntyre's demeanor is when he was informed that he was told something that could put him at fault. Right. And when you're Mike McIntyre, you're in the midst of this great season, everything's going well for you. It's, a, it's scary. You know, you're, he knew he was in line to make a lot of money this year, and I know that's not the way you should be thinking, but it's human nature to be thinking, all right, I want to do the right thing here, but I don't want to get in trouble. So as we've learned, he was instructed by a lawyer, you cannot talk to her anymore or you have a chance to somehow put yourself as a witness in this case, and you don't want to be in that position. And so Mike McIntyre was in it between a rock and a hard place if I want to do the right thing, but I'm going to do what these lawyers are telling me because really, if you don't listen to the lawyers for the university, you're going to get yourself in trouble. So that put him in a really tough position. Now I think I'll talk about a few of the missteps here. Would it really have been incriminating for Mike McIntyre to be able to send her one more text that says, hey, I'm praying for you. I hope that you're safe. I'm, I've been instructed that we, we have to cease communications with you. Be safe. We're, we're trying to handle this. Is that really incriminating? Is that going to put Mike McIntyre in a bad position? Personally, I don't think so. And you see in, in Chancellor DiStefano's statement, they have remorse for not reaching out to her. And that's where I get sad. It's just like, how was no one thinking of that? Like, all of a sudden, it got to this point where everyone was so concerned about themselves. They're concerned about the university, the program. They're concerned about Coach McIntyre. They're concerned about Coach Tumpkin and what's going to happen to him. There was a lack of concern about the victim in this case, and I think that's a really sad part to me from CU's end of things. The other misstep, I think, was McIntyre giving the defensive play calling duties to Tumpkin for the bowl game. Now, you could say he kind of had his hands tied. They lost their defensive coordinator. Joe Tumpkin was the only other one on the staff who had any experience calling the plays. And we had even heard rumors up to that point that Charles Clark was going to leave to Oregon. Right. So McIntyre's hands were tied in who he could have chosen. But I think he maybe had to look himself in the mirror and think, okay, what's more important, having an experienced defensive play caller or how this is going to look when it comes out? And I think they mishandled that there. In terms of, I mean, McIntyre is a defensive guy. Why couldn't he have handled defensive play calling for one game? That really, Jake, you and I both agree on this, I know. They didn't take that game all that seriously in the first place. So the fact that they're all worried about covering their own asses and then they just kind of make this misstep without someone being like, hey, this probably isn't smart, that's concerning to me. But overall, I really do believe what everything you said there in the sense that CU didn't – they weren't trying to cover anything up. Of course – they want it to go away quietly if you can do that of course that's what you want to happen when you're coming from this side of things if you can not have it blow up well that's what you're gonna that's a that's a lawyer's job like of course they're not just going to fire him on the spot you can't do that so five weeks is not a cover-up five weeks is, a, is letting a process play out yes there were some missteps in there all in all this wasn't as big and as bad 
as I think Sports Illustrated tried to portray it in that story. And, and I think that was kind of a, another thing that was sad about this is like Sports Illustrated really thought they had a bombshell here. And I think they overcooked it a little bit. And the biggest bombshell of it was Mike McIntyre knew for four weeks before it got made public. I even knew that Mike McIntyre knew. Was that that big of a deal? And you know, he hired a lawyer and his lawyer told him, hey, be quiet. You know what happens when you go to court? Your lawyer tells you to shut the hell up. That's the first thing your lawyer tells yep. you to do. Yep. And so from my perspective, CU handled this phenomenally, legally. Legally, they handled this about as perfectly as they could to make sure they weren't implicated. Now, from, your, from what you're saying, and I agree with it too, could they have gone out of their way and helped the victim? Yes, 100% yes. They handled this well, but they could have handled it better. And it, that that's, doesn't mean they handled it poorly, that they could have handled it better. It just means that they could have handled it better. And I think that's a big factor when looking at this is that you say, all right, looking back on this, you know, we made a few missteps. We learned from it. We could have handled it better. But, you know, we're coming away with just a few scrapes. And in two weeks when people look at this, I don't think they're looking at CU and going, that's that school where they had that gigantic scandal with Joe Tumpkin. Yeah, and I'll even mention that that you know, it, this has not, this is so far away from even the 2001 stuff. It's it's miles away from or sorry 2004. It's miles away from Baylor, which some people have brought up just because that's the school with the big scandal right now. But even uh, you know the Daily Camera brought up something of oh CU's back to their old ways with the sex scandal, and it's like let's relax a little bit here. This was one. This is a coach who, as it appears in this report, is a pretty bad dude. And does it look bad? Yes. Could CU have handled it better? I, I really do believe they could have. But like I said from the beginning, and I think my, my biggest stance on this is you, this isn't CU versus the victim in this case. It's not a thing where you have to choose sides between that. I think everyone sides on, with the victim when it comes to Joe Tumpkin versus her, which I guess would be the lawyer's thing. But you can understand you can sympathize with the victim in this case and say that CU handled it in the right way and I will add this when Mike McIntyre talked to her he came across as a very caring man and then he was instructed to, to, to talk to not talk to her Mike McIntyre has a daughter and you know knowing what I know about Mike McIntyre he was legitimately concerned for this girl you know it was an oversight that they didn't keep reaching out to her but you know what? They made sure he, she was okay and that the situation was, I don't want to say resolved, but that the situation was no uh, longer dangerous. Right, for her. And that was most important when it was happening because when you find out about something like that, you don't know if it's still active or not if you're in Mike McIntyre's shoes. Even if she says it's not, you still come up with these realizations. You know, I've been involved with a couple situations like these, and you, when you inform people of this stuff, it's very red alert to them. So when you look at Mike McIntyre's reaction, it comes across as a very calm guy who made sure everything was played the right way. So I really don't think you can fault Mike McIntyre. I don't think you can fault Rick George either for the way he reacted to when he heard the news or Chancellor DeStefano. Yeah, like I think we've, we've gotten that across pretty well that CU did a – not exemplary job of this, but they handled it correctly in most scenarios. The other thing is, look, when you start putting what lawyers do and say in print, it looks really bad because, in all honesty, lawyers' jobs are to manipulate and they're to, uh, you know, convince. And they're going to, they, they're going to employ some shady tactics. And that's, I mean, that's a lawyer's job. So it looks bad when you see that written down on, and it is, I mean, you know, it's not usually morally sound what's going on with a lawyer, but the, the overarching point here, I think, is that for the most part, CU did a good job with this. I've got one more thing to add, which is CU fired Joe Tompkin before legal charges were ever made against Joe Tompkin, which if... If you ask me what acting swiftly is, that's acting pretty damn swiftly. They didn't wait till he was uh, found guilty. They didn't even wait till charges were made against him. Once the civil case was over, he was gone. 
within hours, he was gone. And he was suspended before there were, the civil case was even made official. So, I mean... And, and look, we also, you know, I've heard from people that people were angry in the athletics department. It wasn't, it wasn't like, a, oh, my God, how are we going to save ourselves? I mean, like you reported, Rick George wanted to fire him right then and there when they found out about it. Now, of course, again, legal uh, advice comes in and says, hey, you probably shouldn't do that. Just give it some time. So, all in all, a very sad situation. Uh terrible for the victim and there are some places where see you can learn and be better next time but this isn't a all-in-all outright scandal this segment has been brought to you by the colorado keg house in broomfield right next to the first bank center with 75 colorado craft beers on tap they are the home for colorado craft beer from wheat beers to nitrous to ipas to ales nobody does craft beer like colorado keg house you can sit at their huge bar their tables or their lounge area but no matter where you sit you'll sit in front of a tv with sports on so next time you're looking for something to do go down to colorado keg house off wadsworth and 36 and broomsfield i think i heard that broomsfield came up in the bsn rockies podcast this week as well did it really drew creaseman dropping broomsfield i heard that i heard rumors on online where i spend some time well i will say that when the summer rolls back around, I'm looking at the Colorado uh, Keg House reads. I'm looking at the Rockies reads. It's post-roll, so 55 minutes into the Rockies podcast in the summer when I'm back hosting that thing. Broomsfield will be back, baby. Broomsfield is spreading everywhere. Home of the Colorado 14ers, or formerly home of the Colorado 14ers. But, hey, it was a huge week for CU football, uh, not only because of this Joe Tumpkin situation, but because of signing day. And they very signed different sides of the spectrum. Yes, here. very different sides. They signed 28 players, uh, by far their best class under Mike McIntyre, uh, both in terms of depth and in terms of high-quality guys. Uh, the guys that they got, and that's why we have Chase on. Chase knows more about this recruiting thing than me and Ryan do, and me and Ryan know quite plenty. But when you're looking at this, they only have one or two guys that are less than three-star recruits, which is absurd because me and Ryan, when we were writing recruit stories the last two years, would go back and we're like, all right, how do we hype up this two-star guy so people click on our headline? Exactly. I mean, you were trying to avoid talking about how many stars the guys were. And it was so – I mean, you could have, uh, you know, built a mansion if you had a nickel for every time the words under the radar, diamond in the rough, pro, uh, you know, potential, all of those buzzwords that you try to use when you're selling – uh, you know, uh, a player that might not be that good that you don't know whether they're going to be good or not. But this was an impressive class uh, by all accounts, and it really brings me back to I'll probably even say the off season when I started talking about windows and how college football windows are small. But you have to take them, and you have to get through that window while it's open or else you're going to find yourself in trouble. And I talked about the window that CU had going into this season. There was momentum. There was the idea that McIntyre was building something. There was this idea that they were so close to starting to finish some of these games. There was all this positive PR around Colorado football, and I said, they better capitalize this season or that window is going to close. And they found their opportunity. They jumped through that window they won 10 games and now you're seeing it pay off in the recruiting trail yeah i think they definitely capitalized on this window in recruiting um just look at looking across the board at all of the players you could look at every single one of them and say they have a chance to start in one of their four years here and i think that's the biggest thing about this class is its depth it is all over Every single player will have a chance to play while he's at CU. I mean, you just look at what they've done this past week in getting Terrence Lang, Casey Roddick, and Jared Poplowski. All three of those guys, which they flipped on signing day or after signing day, would have starred any of the classes that they had previously. Exactly. And another guy they got recently, uh, Jalen Sami, that's, that's a guy that all of a sudden bloomed late. They got in there and got him. And the reason I bring up that name mostly is because I have a fun fact that I don't even think either of you know. I don't think anyone listening to this podcast knows. Jalen Sami, continuing the legacy of Lufau, a second cousin of Sefo Lufau. Little connection there between the Lufaus and Colorado's late signee. 
Can you just change your name on Twitter to Sefo Lufau Insider? Sefo Lufau Insider. You're like the foremost expert on all things Lufau. Hopefully he comes to the Broncos. That'd be helpful. That would be like ex like that would be the best thing that's ever <laughs> happened to you. Um. Anyways, uh, looking at this class, I already wrote a story of my top five guys that I think could impact uh, the Buffaloes. Uh, but I will going to say this. I, I had Javier Edwards, Dante Wigley, Chris Molumba, Katie Nixon, and Jake Moretti is the five guys that could impact the Buffs right there next year in 2017. But I want to add Chris Miller to this list because I've been told uh, through conversations I've had with new defensive coach uh, Shadon Brown, which we should get to in this podcast because we haven't even talked about that yet, uh, and DJ Elliott and a couple other people within the program, that this kid could be playing in 2017, not only playing but starting, that this kid is ready to play in Chris Miller. So I wanted to add that name to this list because I know a lot of people that read our stuff also listen to our stuff, and I didn't want to forget about that. Uh, Chase, you had a couple write-ups this week on interviews I've done with uh, Jonathan Van Dyce, and uh, you also interviewed Jalen Jackson and talked to a few other different guys. One, I'm going to start with Jonathan Van Dyce. This guy is going to be an absolute beast on the inside for Colorado. Uh, and then Jalen Jackson, you already are a huge fan of. Yeah, what did Coach Mack call Van Dyce in the press conference? Tasmanian. Tasmanian yeah, Philip, the next Philip Lindsay. He is a beast on defense. And what he was saying is that Dave Logan played him everywhere at Cherry Creek High School. And he could literally put him at Mike on the outside. Uh, I think he's going to play at Mike from what Coach Max said, but he has incredible pass rushing ability. So he'll be definitely rushing the passer, uh, maybe on the outside linebacker position. And I, I, before you get into Jalen. He Jaylen, also played interior defensive line, def uh, yeah, exterior like, defensive line, and safety. Andy's, I mean, he really did play everywhere. And he's bionic. Uh, I've, been, I've been privy to the x-rays uh, of his arm. He's had two arm surgeries in the last year. I think he has two metal rods, two steel rods in his arm, so he could just come over the top and just knock out a guy with his arm. I think uh, you just like violated some sort of law. Did you just violate HIPAA? HIPAA? Well, <laughs> its sources tell me he has sources. He allegedly has two steel rods in his arm. <laughs> All right, go ahead, Chase. And then Jalen Jackson for, um, we are talking about under the radar guys. I think this is probably the one in this class that is sort of under the radar because He's not being talked about. It's the DeSoto wide receivers, Katie Nixon and LaVisca Chenot, who seem to be what people are talking about, the wide receiver position. But Jalen Jackson, he was a four-star recruit when he was a sophomore. He runs and has been moved down to three-star. I don't know if you've heard the story, but he's had two ACL surgeries in the last two years. But he ran a 10-5-5 100-meter dash last year in track. So just to give you a Isn't little that idea, like, like less than a second off Usain Bolt. <laughs> yeah, it's Jesus. an it's an incredible number, and he's going to get even faster here as he gets healthier. And he's a he's your ideal slot wide receiver. I think Jalen well, Jack. If I remember correctly, was it Jalen Jackson who had a Alabama offer? He didn't have an offer, but he did take a visit. I know okay. for a fact he even told me that he enjoyed the CU facilities over the Alabama facilities. So I remember it's funny that you call him under the radar now because he was early in the class as a commit, and he was like the first big wide receiver commit that everyone was like, oh, my God, CU's on the rise. And I, like, I remember our story was something like CU steals recruit, you know, that was, had visited Alabama or whatever it was got like 100 retweets people were really excited about Jalen Jackson early but you're right in saying after the second knee surgery after a couple more big recruits signed he kind of did fall under the radar and that's what's crazy about this class is there's so many guys that you know in a vacuum if they were just recruited as the first guy in the class people would have gone nuts over them and if any of these guys were recruited over the last four years they would have been the guy in that class. Right. right. Bo Bichorette's the second best running back in this class, and he was the best recruit last year. Yep. That's crazy. Like, this whole class is absolutely ridiculous. Uh, there's not one hole that I see. The one hole that I tried to find, because I was asked the question, Allie asked me the question in the recap video, I was like, I guess inside linebacker, because they just don't have a lot of depth in the class there, because Van Deist is not naturally an inside linebacker yet. He's been playing on the outside, and then they have uh, 
the uh, which one Landman? They said they're gonna play inside too, but he played outside in high school, and that's really been their whole as a football team is that they've been playing Rick Gamboa and Kenneth Olabode at linebacker, and Gam uh, Ga uh, not Gamboa, Olabode is gonna be graduated. Yeah, I, I mean, it's funny you bring up Landman, Landman, Nate Landman. I I stumble on his name because I'm trying to make a point here. I'm sitting there at the, at the luncheon, and, of course, as I've kind of moved on to a little bit more Broncos, you kind of have to choose. Like, I'm always going to stay up with CU. But recruiting was probably the one thing that I, I kept up with the least, leaving the beat. To be honest, until we sat down at the luncheon the other day and they started gushing about him and talking about him, I honestly hadn't heard of the kid. And you watch his tape, you hear him talk about him, you see, you know, the type of numbers he puts up. This kid is impressive, too. And it's just funny that – this class is so full of these kids. He might not have been a headliner in a previous class, but I guarantee you I would have known his name if you, were, if you committed last season. And that's the really cool thing about this class is it's full of dudes who you could maybe forget about because there's so many good players. I like uh, this other kid, Sebastian Oliver, that they got. Uh, Oliver, we're not sure how to pronounce it yet over maybe uh he came from australia and he's a punter tight end defensive end linebacker running back he does everything on the football field i really want to see the first formation where they like motion the tight end behind the formation to option out into a punt on fourth down that would be absolutely amazing but uh here's a point i'm gonna make or a, a story i want you to tell ryan when we went to the luncheon on thursday we were graciously invited to be at the blake street tavern table uh, a big thank you to the Blake Street Tavern for letting us sit at their corporate table we sat with DJ Elliott we had a great time uh, Ryan talk about the reaction did you just talk about me Ryan speak to the reaction <laughs> that was given by the about a thousand donors and attendees of that luncheon when they saw the highlights of the offensive lineman play uh, behind Mike McIntyre as he spoke. So if you haven't been to one of these things before, basically, you know, there's tables, you sit down, you eat, and Mike McIntyre goes up there. They have a host this year's with Joel Klatt, who I thought did a great job. He's hilarious. Mike McIntyre will get up there and speak over the highlights of these kids. So he's talking, you're seeing in the background as, you know, LaVisca Chenault's catching touchdowns and Katie Nixon is juking people out of their shoes and so on and so forth. People are watching whatever. When Mike McIntyre starts playing offensive line tape of guys like Grant Pauley, of guys like Jake Moretti, the crowd, which had been silent the whole entire time, starts ooing and aahing, laughing at the way that guys like Pauley and Moretti are literally just pul like pulverizing dudes 20 yards past the play. And the place is like, in I think it was Moretti's tape, had the place in stitches because it's almost comical watching as he's just absolutely destroying kids and like throwing them on their backs 20 yards downfield where he's just blown them or like blowing them 10 yards out of the back of the end zone when they're on the goal line places in stitches and then they're showing Polly's film and he's doing the same thing but he's like more of a finisher where he likes to like slam them on the ground at the end of things and people are just like oh like going crazy i've never seen in in all of my years people get excited over offensive line tape and people were legitimately getting excited over these kids just ruining their opponents on the football field. I think it was you who told me this, but I know for a fact that Clayton, this was relayed from someone by Clayton. Uh, Clayton Adams basically said, yeah, Grant Polly's the guy who likes to dunk on people uh, yeah, on no, the offensive line. He's like, he's an offensive line. He's the end. He's like a basketball player on the offensive line. Like he wants to do the equivalent of dunking on someone on the football field on every play. That's amazing. I remember uh, they did the same thing during the press conference, and it was actually Casey Roddick's tape that impressed me the most. Every single play was a pancake, and he finished yep. the deal on every single one. And I was sitting there laughing, and I think Jake might have turned around at me like, what are you doing? But I was enjoying it so much. I did turn around at him. I'm like, come on, dude. You can't be <laughs> laughing. But, like, the, it is, the, it's comical. It is comical. And, like, during the luncheon, like, uh, I realized later that there was a video board in front of McIntyre as he spoke, so he could see what was going on too. But McIntyre kept stop talking while he was talking about the offensive linemen because I think he was just so involved with their tape. 
that it was just like, oh my god, like he was drooling. And I'll say the same, DJ Elliott, I was sitting right next to him when he was watching the tape of the guys he was getting on defense. Like the first few guys, he was like, all right, I'm with my wife, I'm going to give my wife some attention. And then like, as they kept showing more and more tape, he like got more and more involved in like his chair Sitting kept up a little more, right, yeah. And his chair kept drifting closer to the screen and he kept like getting more like into the screen. And like I could see from his face that he was just like, Oh my god, these are like guys that I could just mold. I will say the two people from based on what I could see from my seat, also near DJ Elliott, the two guys he appeared to be most excited about, and Jake, you can see it, you can say if you add anything. Javier Edwards and Chris Miller were the two guys that I saw him like he was smiling, like telling, like made it, made a little comment to his, his wife, wife, like yeah. he's a stud. Yeah, his wife, his wife, like tapped him, was like, "Oh my god!" And he's like, "He's a stud." That was pretty cool. Uh, any other recruits you want to talk? Uh, well, let's touch on Tyler Lytle because everyone wants to talk about the quarterback, and uh, this is a quarterback who, according to Mike McIntyre, the quarterback competition is open. Obviously, Stephen Montez has the. Easy upper in. hand. Yeah, and even Mike McIntyre admitted it. But it's probably going to be between Sam Neuer and Steven Montez for the starting competition with the Buffs hopefully able to redshirt Tyler Lytle. But we've seen in the past that Colorado needs three quarterbacks in any given year. So that basically leads walk-ons, TJ Patterson, Tyler McGarry, and Casey Marksberry to be the third-string quarterbacks for the Buffs if they're trying to redshirt Tyler Lytle. Yeah, I mean, that's always the goal is to be able to redshirt your freshman, and obviously they were able to do that this year with Sam Neuer, um, and they were able to do that Stevens freshman year. So you always want to redshirt that guy so you have some uh, class balance there, and I think they will be able to do that with Lytle. Now, Lytle, the more and more you hear about him, the more and more you see of him, the more and more people talk about him, you see a little bit of Cepho in him. And I thought it was interesting what Brian Lindgren said about him, which is what I was thinking when people said, oh, well, he's not as mobile as Cepho. If you remember Cepho as a freshman, he was not running. He was standing back there. He was a mildly inaccurate pocket passer, and that's why a lot of people were underwhelmed with him. Well, then all of a sudden he puts on all this weight, and people think, like, okay, he's going to be even more of a pocket passer. And he turned into this, like, fullback that was also taking snaps under center. I think, you know, you kind of live and learn and, and develop uh, your ideas of how a quarterback should be. I think the Buffs are going to try and kind of develop Tyler Lytle in that mold of he's an athletic dude. He's not a speedster, but, you know, he's 200 pounds right now. They want to get him up to around 230. Cepho was all the way up at like 245, 250 at one point. But they want to get him up to 230 and then kind of I think they're going to kind of try and experiment with the same thing there. Even Montez has gotten a lot heavier since he walked on campus. And it's all on the base. You know, they want it's these guys' legs that they're really putting on this weight in. Right, because both or all three of Cepho, Steven, and Tyler all have this great frame that they've been able to build these bodies around. I don't know that Sam Neuer has that, but I think Sendstrom is another guy that could possibly have that, the Buffs' top quarterback commit for 2018 thus far, because Sendstrom's a very athletic guy. Uh, his whole family's full of swim swimmers, and his dad was an NFL quarterback. Uh, so y you're starting to develop a theme, as you said here. But with Tyler Lytle, it's so interesting to me because I've heard so many great things about Sam Neuer. Obviously, we've seen Steven Montez perform, and he can play college football. Uh, and Sendstrom's a guy, Valor, who's probably going to have a huge senior year down there. Uh, and he has a great lineage in his family, and he's a great recruit. Tyler Lytle's kind of stuck in this weird area where – or one of these guys, either Neuer, Lytle, or uh, Sendstrom, is going to be lost for the Buffs, and they're never going to really play. Uh, and, it, and it looks like it's probably going to be Neuer the way things are headed, but Lytle is a guy that could be that guy too. Uh, and I will say I really like him, so I don't think it's going to be him. And I'm, in speaking to him, I think he's already ready to be a quarterback and take on those responsibilities, even as an 18-year-old. Look, if you're – you know, problem is that you have too many quarterbacks who are capable of playing and they're fighting it out. That's not a problem. If you've got a, a Matt Castle situation where you're sending a backup quarterback to the NFL, nobody's complaining. So, I, you know, front base, I wasn't high on Sam Neuer coming out of high school, but I will say people inside that program that have seen him practice 
rave and rave and rave about his ability to throw the ball, especially his accuracy. And if there's one thing about this offense that's really important, it's accuracy because you're not really being asked to throw the ball deep all that much. Now that was a strong suit of Cephos, especially earlier in the season, and they, they you know, capitalized on it. But really what they want you to do is be able to hit short routes all day and get, you know, three to six easy yards on a pass. So Neuer might be able to play himself into that conversation just based off of accuracy alone. This segment has been brought to you by the Colorado Safe Outlet. And before I tell you about the rest of Colorado Safe Outlet, Ryan, Jace, do you have a lock of a commit in this class that you think is going to be a lock of a player for the Buffs in the next four years, that he will definitely make an impact and be a good player? Uh, I'll probably go with Katie Nixon right away. That's the one that pops up into my head just because of how explosive he is and how many different ways you can use him. He's kind of like a Tyree kill for the Kansas City Chiefs where you could put him anywhere and he's going to make a play. So I'll take Katie Nixon. I'm going to go have to say with, with my lock, I'm going to go with Jake Moretti. Is that who you're going to take? No, I was, I, was, okay. I was trying to go before you so you didn't take your favorite player in the class that I know about. Well, yes. LaVisca Chenault because yeah. he's six foot five or six foot two and runs a four five forty. Apparently uh, some he was clocked even faster than that. Right. They said that he ran a four three so at in the, the four three range. So uh <coughs> I'm I'm gonna, I love LaVisca Chenault for so many reasons. Why do you love Jake Moretti? But I love Jake Moretti because I always love when I see a Jake that's better than all the Jakes I know. <laughs> And he's now the second best Jake that I, that I've seen behind my dog Jake, and then then Jake. Meredith. Don't waste your time at big box retailers <laughs> looking at safes that don't suit your needs. Instead, come to Galera Safe Outlet, where an expert will set you up with exactly what you need, no more, no less. Once you pick the perfect safe, they'll deliver it to your home, fast and easy. Check them out online, Colorado Safe Outlet, or one of their two locations, Centennial or Stapleton. <laughs> the real reason I really love Jake Moretti is because I was sitting next to. Jake Shapiro when he was interviewing Matt McChesney about Jake Moretti and McChesney is a, is a fiery dude and when he's passionate about something it comes out pretty easily and you can see it in those quotes but if you saw the look in his eyes when he was talking to us you know that Jake Moretti is one of those dudes one of those dudes that's going to be a staple of his program by the time he's a senior you know if he even makes it that far uh, he's going to be talked about as a great buff. And so reading that with your added insight from Clayton Adams and Mike McIntyre, I believe, uh, you know that the buff's got a special dude in Jake Moretti. Go read that story if you haven't read it. Shameless promotion. Uh, but go read that. It's a really good feature that I wrote. Uh, it really gives you insight onto Jake Moretti. Unfortunately for Jake, He's living in Willville right now, uh, which is terrible. Come to Colorado. Come they to did Boulder. get a nice new dining hall, though. Have you checked it out? No. I, uh, I, I went you? there once, and then, yeah, uh, it's so much better uh, than the C4C. are you in? I'm in Libby. Ah, Libby's where – actually, when I was a senior in high school, I spent a lot of time in Libby. <laughs> so didn't they get rid of the dining hall in Libby, though? Yeah, they did. That's yeah, You're going to C4 anyway. Yeah. It's – yeah. Has the C4 improved? This is the first year I haven't had swipes. No, the C4 is not a pr improved. It won't ever improve. So what's the what's the feature at the new dining hall that's good? What is Jake Moretti eating, basically, what I'm asking? Well, I don't know. You're going to have to ask him. But Did they, he get a nice view of the flat irons, at they least? They do have all-day breakfast, which is oh. something I was pretty impressed with. And uh, despite previously that, – that's amazing. Despite previously reported, uh, Tyler Lytle and Jake Moretti are not roommates right now. Uh, they are supposed to be roommates, but uh, the CU housing situation would let them in. Jake Moretti did, does not like his roommate right now is what uh, Jake told me. <laughs> so uh, if anyone's listening in CU Housing, get Jake Moretti set up with a better roommate than the one he has currently. Speaking of currently, currently the men's basketball team has a three-game win streak. I know when we release this, uh, the Cal game probably will have had happened, or by the time you're listening to it, it will have had happened. So uh, let's just talk about the Oregon State-Oregon games and their first Pac-12 road win in forever really against Stanford they were on a 10 game road losing streak in the Pac-12 that was a pretty good win obviously the Oregon win is more impressive now that we just saw Oregon absolutely demolish Arizona out there in Eugene uh, the men's basketball team really turning a corner and I said this last week late last week I feel really good about them getting back to 7-7 seven and seven after they went down to 0-7 in conference play 
Well, I think you and I had that conversation last week where we started breaking down the schedule. I think it was you, me, and Tyler. And we're like, all of a sudden, we're like, okay, well, if they beat Stanford, all of a sudden, they're uh, what would be a very impressive win against Cal on the road away from being four and seven. Then they have both Washington schools at home, which they took them both to overtime on the road. They should be able to handle them at home. All of a sudden, you're six and seven. And then they play Oregon State, which they had a little bit of trouble with at home, but another winnable team, oh, another winnable game. Now, to me, that's you said you feel good about it. I wouldn't go nearly that far, but I would say it's it's a plausible scenario. And it's funny because it's been no secret on this podcast how down we've been on this basketball team. Like, I couldn't even bear to watch them at certain points this season. Good pun because they're about to play Cal. And I kind of, in the in the midst of, you know, three games here, am re-excited about this team. I woke up this morning thinking that they played today, and I was excited to watch the game. And I was like, oh, man, i got to wait until tomorrow. So, like, no, you didn't. I texted you like two days ago that and they weren't playing on Saturday. And then, and then I you still forgot again. Okay. Yeah, you're like, let's do the podcast Saturday. They're gonna play Saturday. I'm like, no, they're not. Dude, it's the magic of podcasting. I can say whatever I want. But no, really, I did think this morning that they played tonight, and uh, I was bummed that they didn't. So somehow they've recaptured my attention. I'll pay attention as long as they keep winning and and keep playing good basketball. Really, I, I mean, they don't even have to win as long as they keep playing a good brand of basketball which I think is what they've done in these last three games. All of a sudden, they're playing as a team. They're complementing each other. They're playing with confidence. They're shooting with confidence. Wes Gordon seems to care and understand the game of basketball once again. Uh, Derek White is hella fun. Derek White has been fun to watch all along, but now that he's like, you know, he, he loves to make the guys around him better, and they're finally becoming better by him. As his dad tweeted, he almost messed around and got a triple-double the other night. Yeah, it was too short on right. right on rebounds and assists. So, impressive stuff from them lately. It's really, really, really hard not to look at it and be like, wow, what a shame that they couldn't figure this out, you know, even seven games ago. But they couldn't do it, and now it's, you know, not very not, – it, now it, all of a sudden it's kind of disappointing to see them play this well unless they can somehow string together something magical. Yeah, I think they've been – it's been a great last three games to watch. It's so much different than what we were used to. Like, we are so used to turning on CU and readying ourselves for disappointment. And now it's, it's completely different. There's hope. There's hope again, and that's probably the biggest thing. I will say I, I called the Oregon win. Uh, I have to take credit for that because there's a really dope sunset in Boulder that night. And I was just gazing into this beautiful – orange sunset over the flat irons in boulder colorado and i was like the buffs are gonna win tonight sometimes i want to punch you <laughs> sometimes sunsets can tell you whether the buffs are gonna win it's an upset sunset it's like those broncos uh, like the friday night sunsets that are orange during bronco season people are like oh the broncos are gonna win now dude sunsets can speak to you when you're in touch with mother nature i guess so uh how's the acid there buddy <laughs> It's good. It's good. Love acid. Good little, it's a good batch going around Boulder right now. I have a bad reflex towards acid. Uh, I see what you I got see there. Yeah. Ah. Uh, but, uh, and I, I drink Pepsi, or I eat Pepsi instead of drink Pepsi to cure it. I can't stop. All right. Well, as we've learned a few I, times, Pepsi's really for Really quick, closers. I just have to mention, you said earlier, you never know who you're going to see at the Blake Street Tavern. I won't drop specific names. But I'll say, it's a bit of a who's who of Colorado athletics here at the Blake Street Tavern tonight. Yeah, we all of a sudden were swarmed by, uh, by closers. Not by, posers. Not posers here at the Blake Street Tavern. But uh, what I will say, Ryan, Ted, uh, did you read Ted's piece? I did not. Did you read Ted's piece, Chase? I don't. <laughs> yes, I did. Okay, yeah. So then you'll know from what Ted wrote. Uh, which was a really, really good story. Uh, Ted's a very big music guy, as am I. Um, all my music takes are actually good, as Ryan found out earlier today over a text message. But Except for your favorite Kanye albums. You have bad takes. My on Beautiful that. Dark Twisted Fantasy, best Kanye album. No. Anyways. Graduation is the best Kanye album. <laughs> that was the Kanye album that got me into Kanye, Graduation. Well, that's but, good. 
So that was the graduation was the album that was always playing up our mitzvahs because that was like the year it came out when I was 13. So like I remember like every single bar mitzvah stronger would come on and like little Jake Shapiro with his long ass hair and like an oversized polo shirt wearing like jeans that were like full filled with like grease stains would like just jump around and, like and that 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 don't kill me like you know like I'd be jumping around to that. I was 15 and I positively associate it with listening to it on my way to game four of the World Series in Denver. Rocktober. Okay, that's a fair one. Chase, do you have any strong Kanye associations that we should know about? No, I'm, I'm not the biggest Kanye guy. I'm just going to come out and say it. I associate Devil in a New Dress with Ideal Market in Boulder because I always used to walk my <laughs> let's, dog. Let's move along with this. Uh, but what I was going for was Ted's story was titled somewhat in a way of getting the band back together. And the way he phrased it was, Colorado played a reunion tour, that basketball game in Oregon. It felt an awful lot like it used to be. It felt like they were playing for something that mattered. Big time stage, big time game, the big time players, the court rush, they did it. They hit the big time shots. They made the big time defensive stops. But when it was all over, you realized nothing had really changed. They probably aren't going to the NCAA tournament and it's just a reunion tour. It's not what it actually used to be. They're missing the drummer. It's not completely it's exactly full. what he said. He's like the sa some of the same cast, like Wes Gordon and Xavier Johnson in there. But then you're like, where's Spencer Dinwiddie? Where's the lead singer? Like they had to change the lead singer like ACDC or something. Or Journey, worse. It, it, it did feel that way. And like Ted and I actually were kind of storyboarding that story. Uh, while you guys were in the press conference that night, and I, you know, I totally agreed with them. I was like, "That's a perfect analogy." Uh, you know, the songs sound a little off, but you know, the, the guitarist nails the solo, and you're like, "Oh, this is it!" Like, this is what it felt like. I, it feels real. And then, like you said, you know, you leave, and you're like, "Oh, but you know, they're not coming out with a new album this year." Even calling it, I look at my uh, call of the Arizona game last year versus this year's Oregon game. Both teams ranked in the top 10. Arizona, Oregon, both very noteworthy opponents for Colorado. Uh, granted, I'm a little bit more experienced now, so I don't just get excited randomly for no reason like I did last year in the Arizona game when I was speaking faster than I could actually speak. There was a call in that Arizona game, Josh Scott's last uh, field goal in that game, where I was talking so fast my words don't come out of my mouth. Um, but this year's Oregon game, it just when I look, listen back to the call, it didn't, it didn't feel like it, there was that environment. And it, it just felt a little bit off. And I think Ted nailed it on that. And, you know, can Colorado basketball get back there this year? They've got a lot of work to do, and they can possibly get there. But if they go above 500 in conference somehow, and they get to 21 wins, 22 wins, after the Pac-12 tournament, they're sitting right there in the bubble. Now, today hurt a little bit with what happened to Kansas and Baylor, two on-the-bubble teams getting big-time wins but Colorado can work their way back into the conversation. But, you know, this is not a blue blood, blue blood program. This is not Kentucky, this is not Kansas. They're not expected to be in the tournament every year. And, you know, yeah, it's unfortunate that they won't be in the tournament this year because as Paul Klee wrote, they might be the best, the best worst basketball team in the country, the worst best basketball team in the country. Either way, it's a huge disappointment. And, you know, you're gonna have to hit the reset button. But Colorado certainly has a chance to salvage this season and turn it into something respectable, unlike what happened with Ski's senior year. Definitely. I think, you know, the goal at this point should be to leave this season with a good taste in their mouths. And just a few short days ago, really, it didn't feel like that was in the cards. Now it's starting to feel like, okay, I mean, let's say they don't make it to the NCAA tournament, which I think is a pretty realistic thing to assume. Maybe they sneak into the NIT, win a couple of games there, make it to Madison Square Garden. Whatever it is, I think the goal right now is to salvage this season and leave it without feeling like, oh, man, Colorado basketball is in for a downturn. We know they have a great freshman class coming in next year. So I think this team needs to make their goal. Okay, let's just, let's just try and leave this with a good taste in our mouths. 
I think it's going to come down to that uh, Pac-12 tournament at the end of the year. That's where they're going to decide whether this was a good season or not. Because if they go play one game and they're out of the tournament, everyone's going to be talking about how bad of a year CU did. But if they actually win a few games, they might actually have a chance of making the big tournament. Yeah, uh, obviously they've got to take care of some ground in front of them first, but I think you're right on, Chase. Uh, and speaking of right on, if you're looking for medical or recreational marijuana at 11.55, Lifeflower Dispensary in Glendale is your place to go because they are open until midnight. They're a one-stop shop and have something for everyone. Just don't be like that guy, though, who shows up at 11.55 at a place that closes at midnight like looking for service, you know? Taco Bell was closed at like 1.45 the other night. It was supposed to close at 2, and I was really upset. Did you hit a life flower right before you got that Taco Bell craving? No. <laughs> you know I like go to Taco Bell randomly he all does. the time. The best was when... Uh, Jake thinks Taco Bell is like an acceptable thing to eat while sober. Yeah, it is. I, it is. I eat that all the time. Well, you eat it while sober too because there was a time where you like Snapchatted me when you were in line at Taco Bell and you're like, I've been waiting in this line for five minutes. And just to prove a point, I was like, I'm getting out of bed, going to Taco Bell, getting back in my bed and eating the Taco Bell all before you get your Taco Bell. And I did that five minutes before. That's how close I have to live to a Taco Bell. That was in, that was in summer. That was the last time I had Taco Bell. I swear to God, I was in the drive through line for 45 minutes and... I, I will I will admit, like, once in a while I get a ridiculous craving for Taco Bell whilst sober, and I have to fulfill it. The first meal I ever ate with you was Taco Bell. Oh, yeah? At your old apartment? Or first date? Well, <laughs> something like that. What? So, How did that? Where? What? Well, uh, it was before or after one of our beer league softball games, and I went over to your apartment, and we were going to order the pizza, pizza Hut hot dog pizza sandwich <laughs> thing because we were making jokes about it on Twitter for like a month but then they didn't come out for like three more days and we're just like alright let's just go to Taco Bell. Was that like one of the times when our friendship manifested over me asking you to DD me to our beer league softball games? Yes. It's <laughs> 100% what happened. So it wasn't a sober Taco Bell experience for me. <laughs> it was not. <laughs> it was for me though because I was not legal at the time. Uh, anyways where was I in this read? Prefer to use topical treatments for severe pain. Life Flower carries a huge variety of edibles, infused sodas, concentrate flowers, and glass too. Check out their menu at weedmaps.com for specific strains and price details. Just show up to Life Flower off Leedsdale. Thanks for joining us on the BSN Buff Podcast. He's Chase Hall. He's Ryan Cunningsburg. You can follow him at his new Twitter handle by Chase Hall. Him at Ryan Cunningsburg. Me for the time being at Chapelicious. And Tim. Boss man is trying Brand to change. Boss Man's working on it. Uh, boss Man only took a year to get me a new haircut, so we'll see how long this takes. I've been working on this one for longer than the haircut. Uh, but you can follow all of our content on bsndenver.com. Some must-read stories from the week from us. I think you have to check out that Joe Pumpkin timeline piece, the Jake Moretti feature. Uh, and I know Allie's going to be dropping a, a feature story on Tyler Lytle as well, so stay tuned to that. Uh, and stay tuned for our next podcast right here on bsnbuff.com.